listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Psalm 32. That's where we're going to be. And if you don't have one, you can put your hand up and an usher will bring you a Bible. Um, today's message is entitled, Blessed are the Forgiven. And it's entitled that not because I'm overly creative. That's actually the title of the psalm that we're looking at today as well. Blessed are the forgiven. This is a psalm of David. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I've ever had an issue with somebody in my life and that gets resolved, that's a really good and and comforting thing. Um, If you've ever uh, had a a relationship conflict, maybe with somebody at work, uh, maybe with um, one of your children, maybe with just a friend, and when, when that gets resolved, how sweet that is not to have that weird awkwardness. You know what I'm talking about? When you see them and everything, you haven't talked it all through yet, and so you see them and you're kind of like, we should probably talk about something, but, you know, and maybe sometimes it's, it's because of us, and we've, we've wronged them in some way, and, and we need to be forgiven, but maybe they've wronged us, and we need to uh, forgive them, and, and so maybe that's the case, but when that gets resolved, it's so good, right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, that, that kind of reconciliation uh, between us and God, and we're going to see this in th- Psalm 32, how amazingly blessed we are when we are reconciled, because on our own, we are, are apart from God, and, and the relationship is not right with Him uh, because of sin um, in our lives. Now, maybe you're, you're thinking, you know, this guy is from Ontario, I don't know if he knows how we do things here, but he just went for it right away. He just told us we're all not right with God because of sin. Well, that's, just, that's what the Bible says, all right? And we need to know this. And, and the reason we need to know this is because it's true. And when it's true and we understand it and we know it, we can do something about it. Better yet, God has done something about it. And we can receive what he has done. And that can change our lives and our hearts. And so let me give you a couple of verses um, to remind you of your sin. Now, I know this isn't necessarily <clears throat> all that fun, uh, but the doctrine of, of total depravity or of our own sinfulness, excuse me, is actually uh, one of my favorite doctrines in Scripture. Now you're like, that seems really weird. Well, here's why. Uh, The more I understand and see my sin, the more I can't help but love my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you came in in this great place, you're super encouraged, and I'm going to tell you how sinful you are. Uh, Let that continue to encourage you because it gives you more understanding on how great and amazing the saving work of Jesus is. And so um, here's a verse for you. Psalm 14, 3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So if you thought you were the exception in the room today, Psalm 14, 3 says, No. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven twenty. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Again, it's pretty clear. Romans three twenty three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the reason why this is such a problem is because of Romans 6:23, the wages of sin is death, uh, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so this is this awesome thing that God does in reconciling us uh, to himself, and there is great joy to be had when we understand this beautiful reconciliation. And so, um, let's look at Psalm 32. Let me read a couple verses and then we'll begin to kind of unpack this together, all right? Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 say this: Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. These first two verses, essentially they're talking about the gospel. They're talking about the person who is made righteous before God. They have been reconciled to God. They are no longer separate because of sin. Their transgressions, 
there. That's a big word. We don't use it very often. I think if, if my kids were upsetting me and I said, you've transgressed against me, they'd be so confused, right? Um, it's not a word we use, but it, it means to be completely uh, wronging God, um, offending him. And here, this, these two verses, they're beautiful because they talk about that being forgiven and in whose spirit there's no deceit. It, it's, it's all removed. It's all changed. It's, it's different. Um, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now, David, if you look at the little at Psalm 32 under the blessed are forgiven there at the top, it probably says a masquil of David. That's likely some sort of a short poem or song that he wrote. Now, we know David uh, from the rest of Scripture, and if you read some of his other Psalms, you know uh, he knew he wasn't perfect. You can read Psalm 51. He says, my sin is ever before me. He understands the weight of his sin um, but here he talks about, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now I read that, and I'm like, yeah, I want that. And um, I can tell you this morning that I have that, and I have that through Jesus Christ. I have that forgiveness, and I am blessed in that way through um, Jesus Christ, and you can be too. And we're going to talk about that a little more. But uh, the first point this morning is this, true forgiveness leads to true joy. True forgiveness leads to true joy. If you're David and you're writing these first two verses, there's no way you're not happy about this by the time you get to the end of it. There's no way that you write all of this about blessed is the one who transgressions is forgiven. He understands he has transgressions and he needs to be forgiven. He gets to the end and it's just like, that's awesome. I'm so thankful that God has done this for me, that he has forgiven my sin and, and pardoned me from all of the wrong that I have done in my life. Um, this is life-changing, future-altering, destiny-redefining forgiveness that when we understand it, and the more we understand it, it should increase and bring joy into our lives, maybe in ways that you've never experienced joy before. Now, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, well, Pastor Carl, I'm not really feeling that kind of joy in my walk with the Lord right now. Well, let's look at what David says next in these next couple verses. Verse 3, when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Here we see David keeping silent. This is about sin. This is about his iniquities and his transgressions before God, the things that he knew God was not pleased with. And, and look at, he uses some interesting language in verses 3 and 4 to describe how he was feeling about all of this sin that he had in his life. He talks about feeling like he's wasted away. There's this inward groaning. I love the, the picture here of God's hand being heavy upon him and his strength being dried up. Now, maybe you're like, that doesn't sound all that fun to me. The heavy hand of the Lord upon us that brings conviction of sin is a blessing. Because if we don't have the heavy hand of the Lord upon us, bringing conviction of sin, helping us to understand that we have sin and that we're not right with God, then we think everything's okay and we're believing a lie. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I've felt the heavy hand of the Lord upon me. I feel like I'm in a dry and weary land. I feel like there's this inward groaning. I have this sin that I know God's not pleased with that I'm you know, trying to battle. I'm content with it sometimes, but I know I need to not be content with it. And that's from the Lord. Embrace that. Be thankful for that, that God has so convicted you in such a way over your sin because here's the, here's the good news. Okay? You don't have to stay like that. David, he says, for when I... So this is, this is talking about a different time than verses 1 and 2. There's a, there's a contrast here. Look back at verses 1 and 2, though, because this is the hope for all who are, have the heavy hand of the Lord upon them. 
Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. There, there's forgiveness of sin, whose sin uh, is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That can be you this morning through the grace and work of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Again, just God's word. Look at verse 5. Look at this. This is awesome. For I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Coming to the Lord, confessing our sin, and he forgives the iniquity of our sin. He forgives sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And understanding that should bring joy, should bring peace. Because better than any reconciliation in any earthly um, relationship that may be disrupted or have conflict, when the relationship with you and God that is disrupted and there is the massive conflict of sin is removed and there's reconciliation and you are welcomed to God's presence, that's an awesome thing. You are no longer separate from him. You are welcome to his presence. And that comes because he forgives sins. And the way he does that is through Jesus Christ. He is the one who does this. He is the one who does this for us. Now, I believe in this room right now, there's probably a couple kind of people. There's people in this room who know everything that I've just said. Awesome. Awesome. But there's still this struggle in your life. This ongoing battle with sin, your, your transgression and sin. Um, you know they're covered through Jesus Christ. You know you're forgiven. You know you're saved. But you still have sin that you're battling in your life. And God calls us to continue to come to him and, and bring it before him. Not so that we can get saved, because we already are saved through the work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ saves you once and for all, all your past, present, and future sin. But he calls us to, again and over scripture, look and see our sin, that we can understand it, that we can confess it, and that we can repent of it. And ultimately what happens when we do that is we love Jesus more. Because we see our sin and this thing that God has forgiven us for, and, and we can't help but love him more. In Luke 7, Jesus talks about this sinful woman. She comes and, and she knows her sin. And he says to the Pharisees, this woman uh, has been forgiven much. And so she loves much. And it's not always an easy thing to think about our sin. But this is why I, I, I want to love understanding my sin more, even though I don't like my sin, is because it'll cause me to love Jesus more. And so I believe that the reason why verses 3 and 4 are here is to convict us and to call us to verse 5, to call us to, to bring out our sin and to confess our sin. Now maybe there's people in this room here right now who you would say, well, well I've prayed the prayer. I, I said, the, said the little thing at, at summer camp. You know, I was, I was in that youth group and I, I wrote, I love Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin on the little piece of paper and I threw it in the campfire on that little trip that we were on, you know. Like, I'm not going to hell. That may be completely true, but my question for you is, is that all that it is? Is there a continued and understanding of the work of Jesus Christ in your life? Is he at work in you, stirring you, and, and, and can you feel the heavy hand of the Lord upon you, convicting you of sin that would draw you to this repentance and to this greater love for him, and that you would feel blessed and forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ? I work with teenagers, and, and many of them would tell you that they have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they are, are, are Christians. But then you begin to ask them, and, and all that they're really describing is a get-out-of-hell-free card. And there's really not any life change that's gone on. It's just something they've said. It, it hasn't moved or stirred in them in any way. But here we see David's just like, blessed is the person who gets this. You're blessed. 
You're blessed if you understand the saving work of God who can remove sin and who can take away that iniquity that, that separates us from God. Look at verse 5 again. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I would encourage you today to confess your sin to God. Ask him to forgive you and to continue to stir in you to understand what you've been forgiven of that you would only love him more and more. When we lie to ourselves about the seriousness of sin, we forfeit the full joy of salvation. Those who've been forgiven much love much, but if we don't think we've been forgiven much, we won't love much. Um, I work with the youth at our church, and uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about them. Um, some of them really smell. I'll just be super honest with you. Um, specifically, grade six through eight students are the stinkiest of all of the youth that I've ever worked with. Um, and uh, you would be surprised if I told you whether it was boys or girls who smells worse, but um, we won't get into that. Now, now, they smell, and there's been times when I've had to come alongside them and say, uh, when was the last time you had a shower? And they look at you like, well, what are you talking about, man? It's like, well, you smell. No one wants to sit on the bus with you. That's why people don't sit with you. Like, you kind of stink. And, and, and I got to tell you, they, they, don't, they don't really like that. It's like, well, I put deodorant on today. And you have to have this conversation where you're like, okay, you put deodorant on every day, but when was the last time you showered? And, and they look at you kind of like, showered? Like, what are you talking about? Now, now, you're like, why are you telling us this story? Because often we're just trying to put on spiritual deodorant. We're just trying to cover up our sin, and we haven't completely come to God and confessed it. This, this stuff that we have in our life that just reeks to God worse than any stinky junior high student ever could is the smell of our sin before Almighty God. And he is like, come, be washed in the living water, be, be, be having your sin all removed through me. And then he makes us smell nice through his word and through teaching and through growing us like Christ. But, but that doesn't happen if we don't understand that we're stinky. And we all kind of smell a little bit. Now, maybe you're like, well, I've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, you've been washed, right? You are saved. But we still sin and we still struggle and so we still get a little stinky sometimes. And we need to come to God and we need to confess our sin. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin. Psalm 32, 5, I will acknowledge my sin. Acknowledging it. There's this, there's this saying it, naming it confessing it, not lying about it anymore, but bringing it before God. If you're like me, sometimes it can be hard to think of, okay, well, what are, are the specific sin things that I'm struggling with right now? I thought you might ask that, so I wrote down a list. And as I read this list, I want you just to kind of listen, and, and maybe there'll be something on this list that you're like, you know what, that's, that's me. Maybe it's something you've never really articulated before to anybody, and you know it's kind of like a long harbored inside. It's not something that comes out very much, but you know God's not pleased with it. Is it anger? Is it anxiousness or bitterness? Is it conceit or coveting or criticalness? Maybe it's um, depression or drunkenness, a fear or gossip or greed or hate, idolatry, impatience, impure thoughts, continued jealousy or laziness, lust for pleasure, constant negativity, 
Is it pride or, or maybe profanity that's inward that you just never comes out of your mouth, but it's in your head? Is it inappropriate sexual lust? Is it stubbornness? Are you unloving or unforgiving or overly vain? I know even just reading some of those words to myself, I'm like, ugh, I know that's me. I struggle with those things. We need to recognize them, that we can acknowledge our sin before God. Who can, who can look, at, look at the verse again, look at verse 5. I will confess my, my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This doesn't happen if we're not willing to come to God and, 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 and ask and, and, and bring it before Him and be forgiven. This is what God does. And this forgiveness, this removal of this thing that separates us from God, that, that causes our relationship with Him to be so messed up, should bring us joy. It should bring us joy. It should bring us some peace too. Because we know that we no longer have to, to face consequences and penalty and punishment for that sin, but we are forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ we learn and read through the rest of Scripture. Now, let's keep going because there's some other really good stuff here. Look at the next verse, verse 6. It starts off with the word, therefore. This is referring back to everything that's just been talked about, okay? So, in light of this life-changing, future-altering, destiny-redefining, I confess sin and God forgives, blessed are the forgiven. In light of that, check this out. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Point number two, sincere dependence leads to serious deliverance. Sincere dependence leads to serious deliverance. Now, that word there near the beginning, let everyone who is godly, this is not talking about perfect people. We aren't perfect people. But we are, through Jesus Christ, growing in our godliness. So let everyone who is growing in their godliness uh, seek after the Lord while he may be found. That word found is an interesting word. We so often think, well, you know, I can go to God anytime. Yes, you can. But there are places and times when it's going to be easier to find the presence of the Lord than other times. We know that just because it says it here in this passage. There are times it's going to be easier when he may be found. That's a time specific, opposed to times when he is not so easily found. When are the times when he's so easily found? The times when he's easily found is when we're not in hardship. If we're just honest, that's when it feels like it's most easy to find the presence of God. And so that is when we need to be going to the Lord and seeking him out and letting him teach us so that when we get into these difficult situations, well, look at the, the second half of verse 6. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Because you have built and established this relationship with God, you have sought him while he may be found. I, I wrote this down. I almost had this as this point. All right, Prayerful dependence leads to perfect deliverance. All right? This is what this passage is talking about. It's this coming to God, seeking him, calling out to him. Now, verse 7 is going to be a little bit different, but... The point is that we're going to God and we're building this relationship with him. And one commentator wrote this, a relationship of trust and reliance on God must be built in times of peace and security. Okay, that's the when you, he may be found. So that when the troubles or mighty waters come, the one who has established communication with God may not be overcome, firm in faith, committed to God. This is what sincere dependence looks like. And it's going to lead to serious deliverance. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, You are my hiding place. You are a hiding place, sorry. Uh, 
for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I love this. God is this. You are a hiding place. Not that God will provide one. He is this. So often we, we want him to provide something and he is the thing that we need most. He is our provision. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me, preserve me uh, from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, nothing in there to me, as I honestly read it, makes it seem like nothing bad will ever happen in my life if I love Jesus. Everyone see that? David here, he's writing this, and this is not easy. There's stuff going on. The, the, the troubled waters, they are coming. You preserve me from trouble when it surrounds me. You're, you're a hiding place for me. You deliver me. Not, oh, I, I love God, so my life is clear and breezy and easy. That's not what we're seeing here at all. In fact, if you look in the rest of Scripture, you can see time and time again how people are called to depend on God and God delivers them. Some of the most godly people in all of Scripture had to completely, heartfelt, sincerely depend on God. One of my favorite ones of, uh, examples of this is in uh, Judges chapter 7 with the story of Gideon. Many of you know the story of Gideon. And Gideon's there with the army of the nation of Israel and, and they're kind of gathering together because there's this, it says this great horde um, out in this plain. It's, it's too big to even try and count and number. And so Gideon kind of rallies the troops and they have 32,000 men versus an uncountable number. And these 32,000 men are supposed to protect everyone who is in their nation behind them. And they're getting ready to fight and God's like, all right, I want you to go. So they begin to go and then God says, stop, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, essentially what God is asking him to do is to depend on him so that God can completely deliver him and get all the glory. And so God says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell everyone who's afraid to leave. And I got to tell you, if I'm part of that 32, this is good news for me. All right, I am out of there. That does not sound like a whole lot of fun in this battle. So he comes along, he's got 32,000 men. Hey, if you're afraid, you can leave. 22,000 men leave. 10,000 guys left. I gotta tell you, I think if you're one of those 10,000 guys, is that not like the most discouraging thing ever? Uh, two thirds of our army just walked away. Should I leave too? Because we are totally done. There they go. Thanks a lot, guys. Way to help us out. Not at all. Um, but, and I'm sure they would have been worried and freaked out. And God's like, listen, I, I got you. I got you. Keep going. They get a little closer. They go to have this drink down by the river. And God's like, okay, here's what I want you to do. We're going to slim down the numbers a little more because I really, really, really want you to depend on me because I'm going to deliver you. And I want you to see how awesome this deliverance is going to be. And so you know the story. They go down and they drink. And then God brings it down to 300 men. Three, think about this situation. 300 men versus an uncountable number of people in this massive army. That's just crazy. It's completely crazy. But this is the thing. So many times in our life, there's going to be things that we face that seem totally crazy, and there's no way I can get through this. I am stuck. I am dead on my own. There is nothing I can do to make this situation any better. God's like, that's okay. That's where I work. Depend on me. Trust me. Trust me. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You have established a relationship with God so that you can depend on him, and he will deliver. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Here's the question. Are we depending on God like we need to? Um, I heard this saying years ago, 
and uh, I want to encourage you with it today, and it's this. You need to fuel your faith fire. It's not easy to say in front of a couple hundred people. It's like a tongue twister, but you need to fuel your faith fire. If you're going to depend on God in the hardest and most difficult times, the fire's got to be burning hot. You've got to get that passion flame for God glowing brightly so that when the rains and the mighty waters and all the difficulty of this world come, you're strengthened already. You're strengthened. And and I believe there are three great ways to to fuel your faith fire. And and one of them is God's word. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the first one is, is here in this text, and it's to pray. And I would encourage you to write this down, is to just to pray. Come to God, fuel your faith fire by praying. He says, seek him when he may be found. Pray, praying to you at a time when you may be found, coming to God, calling out to him. This is not just talking about, you know, things are bad, I'm going to like dial up 911 God, it's time to pray because things aren't, aren't going the way that I wanted. This is all of the time coming to him, establishing this talking relationship with God. One of the things that I love about prayer is that anybody can do it anywhere in the world. I was on a mission trip a couple years ago in Romania, and we were praying with the people in the church just before the service, and there's this person, and they're praying for me in Romanian. I can't understand anything that they're saying, but they're praying. And I was just so encouraged as I just heard them pray. And you're like, okay, I understand that. No, no, no. Prayer is the language of God. You can speak it. You can speak it. In any language, you can speak the language of God. Are you talking to him? Are you coming to him and pouring out your heart, calling out to God, talking to him, establishing this relationship, giving him glory and praise in your prayer, being thankful for all he's done, that you would establish yourself with this great relationship in God in prayer. Billy Graham once said that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. I don't want to be a powerless Christian, and I don't think you do either especially when we know that God delivers and God rescues those who have established a relationship with him. Prayer, next way to fuel your faith, fire, in worship, in worship. Singing worship songs, playing worship songs. I had to confirm this this morning, but Shayon puts the weekend worship songs, correct, on the website. If he doesn't, he's going to today. But no, he does. Um, and so, so if you're like, well, I don't know what songs to listen to. You can go to your church website and you can see lists of the last few weeks of all the songs that have been sung when you've gathered here. Go on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get music and get those songs and get them in your head. Because the more we fill our head with the knowledge and the truth of who God is and what he has done, the more it's going to strengthen our faith and our trust and our dependence in him. But that doesn't happen when we're not intentionally seeking to fuel our faith fire with the Lord. And then the third one is through his word. And we're going to talk about this more in just a minute, but... Sincere dependence leads to serious deliverance. Are you strengthening yourself that you would be able to depend on the Lord? Let's keep going here in our text. Verses 8 and 9 now. This is God responding and it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. And David again speaks here now and says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. This is like connected back to verse 1. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart, upright in heart because of the work of Jesus. Now look there at verses 8 and 9 again. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
How does God teach us? He teaches us through his word. He teaches us through his eye upon us. Now, we can't exactly see him with his physical eye upon us, but we can, we can kind of imagine what that's like as we're looking and we're doing things and we're understanding that God is over us and he is watching us and he is caring for us. He is uh, guiding us. Um, are we listening? Are we seeking to listen to the Lord and be led by him? This is point number three. Intentional listening leads to intense love. We see this intentional listening happening in verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Okay, this is, we're trying to listen to the things that God is telling us. Have you ever been doing something and, and someone's kind of like testing you or overseeing your work on something? I remember uh, taking a lifeguarding test when I was in high school, and I remember doing the, the chest compressions and uh, tilting the head to blow into the mouth of the, uh, the dummy thing that was there. And um, I remember looking up at the tester to kind of like try and get visual cues from them to like, am, am I, I'm doing this right, correct? Like, I wanted to make sure that I was doing it the proper way, and I was, I was trying to get their facial expression to show me, you know, is this, is this what you want me to do? And I think that when you read verse 8 there, God will counsel you with his eye upon you. It's a similar kind of thing. It's we're constantly looking, is, is this something God's pleased with? I know that you're leading me and you're caring for me. God, is, is this okay? Is, is this what you want? And coming to him, intentionally listening to him so that we don't end up like verse 9. Look at verse 9. I think this is a great reminder for us. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, not easily staring near to you. This is like a harsh redirecting and correcting if you're being like this. So I wrote in my Bible beside this, be not like a horse or a mule, don't be a donkey. You write whatever's going to be most impactful for you to remember this. But, but not being stubborn to what God wants you to do and how he wants to direct you and, and care for you and guide you. Be not like a horse or a mule. Whatever, whatever was going on there, in, in, as David's writing this, he's understanding that those animals can be frustrating sometimes and you have to pull on the one side of the reins to get them to do what you want. Don't, don't be like that when it comes to you and the Lord. Allow him to guide you and from his word to teach you and to counsel you with just his eye, not having to have this harsh correction going on in your life. God will do that because he loves you. But may you and I walk in a way where we are seeking the Lord and he would be leading us and we would be listening to him, listening to the instruction of God. God's word is what instructs us. And we need to get in God's word, frankly. This is the other thing in part of fueling your faith, fire. And I want to encourage you to get in God's word. Uh, James McDonald said, get in God's word where it intersects with your life. I love that. Get in God's word where it intersects with your life. Often we like to have like a reading plan or something that we're kind of like, this is what I'm trying to do. Like, you know, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to read a couple verses in Colossians. And, and you do it and you're doing it, but, but sometimes you're feeling like, I'm not getting stirred from the Lord. I'm not receiving from him. I'm not like feeding on this. And I, so I just love this principle of getting in God's word where it intersects with your life. What do you need God to teach you? Go find it and stay there until you get what the Lord has for you. Uh, in the fall, I was reading Psalm 19 four times a day uh, for two months. And, and I was reading other stuff too, but I knew the truths that were in Psalm 19. I just needed to be reminded of those things. The importance of God's word in my life. 
I can see it there in Psalm 19, and it's just establishing this and building this up in me. And so I think we have a slide here to put up for you um, some things that you can look to in God's word uh, to learn from. You want to know why you should listen to God, read Psalm 19. If you're battling specific sin, and I want you to write now, as you see this on the screen, maybe there's one there that you're like, I'm going to write that one down because that's going to be for me. And I would encourage you to, to find one, pick one, and do it. And maybe it's not on here, but you know there's a passage you need to meditate on, you need to be seeking the Lord in, and maybe you need to do what I did, and for two months, you need to read it four times a day. I had it on my phone, and I was looking at it all the time. Um, why listen to God's word? Psalm 19, battling sin. Look at the truth found in Romans 6 and 7. Assurance of salvation, John 10, Romans 8. You need wisdom, and to understand where wisdom comes from, read Proverbs 3. Are you in a trial? Is there difficult, specific issues that are going on in your life right now? James 1, Hebrews 12, the whole book of Job. You probably can't read the whole book of Job four times a day, every day. That'd take a long time, but you could read James 1 like that. You are thinking, I need to learn to pray more. Uh, Matthew 6. Maybe you just want to have more fuel for your faith fire and just love of God bursting in your life. I want to encourage you to read Psalm 121. God wants to instruct you. He has given us this book, not so that we can be part of a club that brings a book to a church on a weekend. He has given us this book that we may know him. He who created and sustains all things. And he has revealed himself to us in this book. He wants us to know him. It's important that we do this Verse 10 again, many are the sorrows of the wicked. I don't want to be in that place. Good. Then let the Lord instruct you and guide you. The steadfast, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Now look at this, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. This is because of Jesus. This is because of Jesus that you can be righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's through the work of Jesus Christ that you can be righteous before God. Look at the verse again. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, because of Jesus, and shout for joy all upright in heart, forgiven, blessed. Blessed to be forgiven of sin. True forgiveness leads to true joy, Sincere dependence leads to serious deliverance and intentional listening is going to lead to intense love as you understand this love that God has for you, this love that he cares for you, that he has sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you, that you may have life and then he loves you and then he instructs you constantly. May God bless you as you grow in your relationship with him, as you understand this life-changing, future-altering, destiny-redefining forgiveness that comes through the power of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word that instructs us, that you give to teach us about your love and your care and your compassion, about how we may be forgiven of our sins and may made right with you. God, where on our own we would be separate from you because of sin. And Lord, I pray that in this room right now, there would be many people who are thankful for the work of Jesus Christ who understand, Lord, that they are forgiven of their sin through the work of Jesus Christ, but they still battle with sin daily. And you call them to confess that, that you may uh, continue to show your love and kindness to them, God, and would increase their love for you as they understand what they've been forgiven of. So, 
please, God, work in that way in this place right now. And for each of us, God, would you help us to understand your, your grace and your mercy and how blessed we are and can be to be forgiven. And I pray this all in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.